Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. We provide easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host today for the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our line of credit for businesses, please go to fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience like our guest today, Carol Sanford. <clears throat> and today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Carol Sanford from the regenerative business. Carol uh, Sanford is a senior fellow of social innovation at Babson College, which is, by the way, number one in entrepreneurial education. I happen to know Babson College well. In fact, I'm kind of looking at that college for my 13-year-old son. Huh. Uh, yes, I do start early. I have a, a I know I know a number of people went to it and speak highly of it. Um, she's also a number one Amer uh, Amazon best-selling author. Uh, so am I, by the way. I don't really talk about it, but that's that's great. But she has six uh, best-selling books. Um, uh, she's the, also a host of uh, of a business second opinion podcast. She's involved in critiquing uh, in the Harvard Business Review and is the founder of the Regenerative Change Agent Development Community. Carol, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Great. Thanks to be, for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Carol's actually one of the only guests that I've asked to come on a second time. Um, I usually don't have a policy of that, but she was so good the first time that I asked her to come on again. And, you know, today's topic, which is, you know, something that I think is, is so important is how to change an organization uh, and it, you know, the tagline is a regenerative change theory for business and humans. It's based on the book that Carol wrote, which is an Amazon bestseller. And, you know, I, I, I think, I guess, there, I, I, Carol, you would have to help me with this, but I would think there's two times when there's change in an organization. One is when things are going bad. <laughs> and two, when someone sees the strategic of direction of the company in the future, is not going to be, uh, uh, is not going to work. And I, like, I'll give you an example today. I heard, uh, Facebook, you know, uh, the, yeah. the Mark Zuckerberg for Facebook was on, um, uh, I think marketplace today. And he was talking about how, you know, he needs, he's, they're kind of changing the direction of the company again, because of the effect that TikTok has on, uh, viewership. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're needing to make it more video oriented and, you know, you know, regardless. And so here's a <clears throat> company in Facebook that's doing well in general, and he's looking at his strategic direction and saying, wait a minute, we have to make a change. But am I correct in saying that when you make a change in an organization, it fits those two criteria? Well, another way of saying, I'm, I'm going to agree with you strongly here. The way I describe that is, we either face uncertainty and change happens to us, not always to our benefit, or we can, uh, one of two ways people go after it, the way you're talking about that uh, 
Zuckerberg's working to. One is that we see trends and we move based on trends like they are with TikTok. Uh, and algorithms are controlling the world now, right? And so that shift is happening uh, where we're following trends. But the one I work with and I think you're probably hinting at is more where we have an idea about who we are, what we want to be in the world, and become more strategic about being able to serve that. We don't redefine ourselves. I do see a lot of companies trying to be strategic by uh, whiplashing their own company, uh, their financing, their uh, marketing, all with trying to chase whatever is popular or uh, the consumers are demanding and they lose track who they are. That's not a very good path either because they lose the essence of what brought them in, what makes them distinctive, what gives them an offering that no one else can uh, offer. And it makes them non-displaceable even in the face of the other order of change where things are falling apart. So I think I'm violently agreeing with you as they say, uh, and maybe refining it a little. Yeah, I wish there was, you know, like the majority of our listeners are under uh, are under $10 million in revenue. So they're small yeah. businesses. You know, you know, when you're talking about Zuckerberg or you talk about some of the big company, having a strategic direction, that's that's a no-brainer, right? And one of the yeah. things that I, I talk to my listeners about is, you know, when you're a small business, the problem is, is you're, 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 you're always doing. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing. You know, I, I use the word execution, but it's more about the owner doing too much work. And they really need, I might, you know, my counsel to them is you got to be strategic and then you execute and then you're strategic again, and then you execute. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, so I, I wish there was a study that was done that would show that if a small business owner is uh, strategic that the probability of their success is much higher. Well, there are some studies, and I also think it depends on what you mean by strategic, because it is still strategic to chase trends. That's so paying attention, but it's not enough. Uh, the other thing that people chase is uh, market research, which is done... Um, broadly and distributed the same information to everyone. So you're not ending up with uh, what I call strategy, which is understanding who you are, who the uh, uh, clients, customers, market is that you want to stay with and keeping what I call an essence to essence link there. If you don't do that kind of work, you're doing the lower order strategic, which is you're staying on top of, uh, and I, I work a lot with small companies too. They're uh, mid-cap, more size companies, and even some smaller and growing them. And once they're able, uh, and I'll tell you about the one research thing in a minute here, but once they're able to define what I call their essence work, and it comes at the founding. And I've done this with DuPont, 220 years old now go back to the founding, and once we found what their essence was, which was manage risk, they quit doing things they couldn't manage. They got better at doing what they were the only ones who could do, and 
they created less havoc on the planet. Now they have a new CEO since we there or so uh, ego takes over and they change things. But uh, that ability to stick to the knitting of who you are as the world moves around you gives you a gyroscope instead of a, uh, I'm not even sure what the opposite metaphor is, like a flywheel throwing things out. So the one piece of research, which I actually cite in my first book, was done at Harvard Marketing Institute. I'm going to send this to you so you can put it in show notes or something. Though what they did is looked at the success of businesses who use market research to drive their offerings, and that was small, large, and they found that only uh, about 14% of what they changed from market research was successful. They did not have products that went to market and sold well. They did not have repositioning, redefining business models. None of those things worked when what you did was interview, follow uh, market research, customer research, customer feedback, because it tended to cause this whiplash thing of you were chasing this and that. And the other thing was there was nothing unique in what they did. So they said companies, and they didn't call it essence, but they said who understood themselves and stuck with that. That was more strategic and more successful. And they have a, a whole book on it. And I haven't looked at that kind of work for a long time because this new book is about a different kind of strategy. But you're, there's that one piece of research uh, that I think proves your case. So so when you are advising clients and you're working with uh, a variety of different companies, uh, how much of how much percentage of the time are your clients having to make a major change because of the two criteria that we set out? Well, first I don't advise, I educate. And so I'm working in a real, but that's important here because your questions are very important one. Uh, Everyone I work with is coming to me because of referral from Google because they're a supplier or uh, DuPont or Intel somewhere coming. So they know what they're getting into. So my answer is going to be not a percentage one, but why I work the way I do, because none of them are really in a reactive mode. Uh, Well, any more than all of us are, (laughs) right? Uh, What they're coming for is because they know Uh, my clients using this essence-based approach uh, are able to grow their businesses 35 to 65% in revenues per year when they switch to the first method or switch away from the first method of reacting and chasing and following trends to a more essence approach. But there's one other thing that's critical. I don't give people uh advice i don't give them programs i give them a way to think about themselves and become clear about who they are do the same thing for their clients let me give you an example so this uh, beginning sound abstract to me so will to your listeners too what you're doing is saying uh seventh generation which was bought by unilever after we had grown them 
this massive amount of, of 65% uh, annually. What they um, did is really uh, to do that is they discovered the essence of the business, which is uh, a several months process. And they said, oh, what we're really about is transparency. That is what we have that's unique. And that came with Jeffrey Hollander, the founder. And it meant they kept no secrets. And so uh, Jeffrey would publish all their huge mistakes, which most people hide, and and trying to educate people about why they made an error. Uh, they uh, had like a product that ended up converting itself to formaldehyde, and this is an, a non-toxic products company. Well, what do you do with that? Jeffrey does a press release and says, and here's what we learned. Now. What happens is everyone trusts them infinitely because they're going to make sure that no one is having to chase what's going on behind the scenes. They then were able to develop a whole new line of products for babies, and they uh, did work on what was the essence of the natural parent, and that was a sense of safety for baby and planet. It turned out to be for them. Now, when you can do have transparency is your essence embedded in your product you can do an education campaign and everyone comes to you as the final source so they were able to grow so big the unilever bought them as uh jeffrey has gone back in now as um, one of the board members that's what happens when you're willing to start from essence and what we did with dupont was this managing risk they were able to sell off uh, divisions, I guess you'd call them, <clears throat> and focus in. And again, we're able to grow. But not only did they grow, they grew in a way that made a healthier planet for that line of products that we worked on. So when people come to me, I don't get uh, those kind of people who want to do it the old way. They already know because Jeffrey probably sent me a thousand clients and all either they agreed or I agreed they were good fed but they know what they're getting into when they show up well you know it's just somebody who asks you great questions and makes you think they're the most valuable people out there yeah right I well, guess after you've gone through the process and and you've you know you've gone through all the questions that that someone has asked you if they're really good at what they do, I I I definitely uh, I definitely think there's a place for somebody who then can tell you their take on your business too, right? That can maybe show you something that you hadn't thought of, but I think you know you know knowing who your customers are, knowing your marketplace knowing what research is out there, knowing how you're going to attack the market, knowing what your aspirations are, your measurements, uh, you can go right down the line. It, you you got to be able to answer those questions. Well, I teach people frameworks for forming their own questions. Oh. And, and, and that means they end up never having uh, things to get missed. Because the frameworks are systemic whole frameworks, and they cause people to be able to shift perspective, shift paradigms, 
And this is important because, excuse me, <clears throat> got swallowed wrong. Um, it's important because the answers change and they may change annually. And if you don't understand the sourcing of the questions, where they come from, and no one from outside can ever uh, see what it is uh, that is constantly moving because they aren't living it. So I don't give advice, and I'm pretty smart. I've done what you did. I set up ran two companies, one of which I sold, one of which I took public. And I learned very early that improving quality of my thinking. And then I went out into the world as a professor and um, an educator that I was better off giving them capability through frameworks to form questions. Now, and I gave them questions, and I said, but these are examples. They're not the question. What you want to build is the mind that can see complexity and not be afraid of it, because that's what's causing change. And if you, your definition of strategy is to simplify, then what you're going to do is almost all the time be missing something. Yeah. If you essentialize, not, not simplify. Simplify says, let's break it apart, break it down to its small think, uh, small framework way of thinking. And if you do that, you're going to be incomplete. So my way is, and that's why I'm a, at Babson, is building that capacity in faculty, consultants, change agents, to learn to build capability in the companies and organization, not be the smart one in the rooms. Yeah, so before we went on air, uh, you were telling me about, you know, the regenerative uh, process based, you know, your book and how it really kind of, uh, the regenerative change theory for business and humans. And you mentioned something about Einstein. Yeah. Right. Tell, tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about that. All right. I'm going to tell you a, a different piece of Einstein uh, story, which will illustrate what we were talking about. I was at UC Berkeley with Edward Teller, one of the uh, atom bomb guys, and he studied with Einstein at Princeton. So this is a one step removed from the horse's mouth story. Uh, Einstein kept saying, uh, don't use the mind that created the problem to try and create the new solution. You probably heard that. He said it, published it 37 times. Uh, what he meant was, if you have the method where you think that the world and business is a billiard ball game, and I think he meant pool, but where you think you define the pocket, here's the right pocket, here's the right strategy, here's the right product, uh, and you're going to change people based on your definition. In other words, you think you're the cue stick. So I hit people in my organization, because we're talking about change here, right, toward particular pockets or my customers. You're in a Newtonian, outdated worldview. If, on the other hand, you understand that change comes about in a living way, like the matrix in which a baby grows, you can't control what the baby becomes. Even the DNA is not set by being transferred between the parenting hosts because the world is influenced by environment, by conditions, 
And if you build the healthiest matrix, Einstein called it, the womb in this case, but he says also, if we build a healthy company, we build healthy minds. Now what we've got are people who can figure out uh, for themselves in the moment how to move. So if you're with my CEOs, I say, don't try and give them the best answers. Don't delegate all this information. Don't delegate action. Build an organization which has every mind can be like a CEO. You can think systemically. You can use complex, you can use frameworks to make sense out of complexity. It can be nimble and move. And if you can learn to be that way, we have a chance of creating better solutions because we aren't using the old mind that thinks they already always know the answers. I'm not sure that was the story you were thinking of, but I think it's a next level. Well, I, I want to clarify using a simple uh, example that you used before for our listeners. Um, so let's let's use the pool table, the billiard table as, as the example. So are you saying that you should not be uh, trying to hit the ball into a certain pocket? Well, so let's go back to seventh generation. I'm not saying at any moment you don't make a choice about which market or which product. But you do that in the context of understanding that the, well, they did this with customers. For example, they worked with Babies R Us. And Babies R Us sells tons of products. Instead of going in and selling their products and trying to give them good prices and so forth, they went in and educated them about where the market is going, what what's a natural parent. They partnered in the development of products and how to put them in the market. They co-wrote uh, a newsletter uh, educating this family of parents. We didn't have uh, the Internet as broadly adapted 20 years ago when we did this. But what they did is made all the salespeople and the buyers inside Babies are us smarter. And they then were able to co-create things. Whereas if they had narrowed in and said, well, we're going to do recyclable diapers and non-toxic baby powder, they wouldn't have had a partnership. They wouldn't have had a matrix. And so learning how to be strategic with the matrix where things can move and you can move is what got there 65% for five years. And this is in Harvard. Uh, Jeffrey Hollander told people we did this in uh, an interview on Harvard Business Review and many of his other um, locations. And other clients have done the same thing. He said, this way of thinking in the matrix way, where you create a healthy ecosystem and then co-create. And seventh generation even work with other baby product su suppliers because there wasn't any reason for them to try and put them out of business or displace them. There was a reason to make a healthy ecosystem so all of them grew. Is that answering what well, you were me, trying me, to figure out? Yeah, well, let me test my understanding in this case. Um, so their strategy was to... Uh, to really educate uh, the salespeople instead of selling on price, selling on something else. That was, is that what you're saying? Oh, no, it's much bigger than that. Uh, 
What they did is work with Babies R Us strategic team. They had salespeople, had marketing, had product design, had advertising, I mean, had everything in the company. And they educated them about how to think. And they collaboratively created the strategy specifically for Babies R Us. Of course, Babies R Us now went out of business, but yeah, I know. They, made a, they made a fortune uh, for seventh generation and for a few other. Uh, baby product suppliers and for babies or us before their owner and all that had to more to do with people wanting assets sold so they could get the return not not that it wasn't a decent company yeah that I happens they, a lot. They, they owned toys r us too right i think yeah, and right. babies r us and right. my my son max was shocked when toys r us and unhappy yeah. when toys r us went out of business yeah. because he wanted to go there and look at the product and you know and and see what was there instead of ordering it from amazon and this is a young boy at the time i don't know seven at the time eight and uh you yeah. know i know it was all having to do with the leverage buyout and you know they just have buyouts buyouts yeah, and buyouts it. right it was over the top yeah. so so out of your book what do you think the number one you kind of alluded to it probably but what do you think the number one uh uh principle comes out of it in regards to uh, fostering change? Well, the title indirect work is a hint at the most important idea. And I use Phil Jackson, the uh, basketball coach, the winningest coach in history. Yeah. Great book, uh, by the way, on him that he wrote. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my whole book has his story woven through it. He has, uh, he has several books, but what he did is he never pounded on his players uh, to win the game, win the game. Instead, he said, think about young black men, particularly boys, and what are you being and what do they see you on the court? And most of them had been because of the uh, distribution of race inside of sports, had been young black boys. And he got them thinking about what it meant to be a phenomenal player that shared, that didn't try to be a star. They tried to work so that everybody working together made something happen and everyone grew. Uh, he did crazy things like sit in their locker room and get them to learn to breathe together with their eyes closed so they could feel that they were all one entity. He had a whole playing process called the, um, what was it, the triadic, uh, triadic something. And in that process, their whole thing was to share the ball, to move it, not back to them, but wherever it made sense for the whole. So his way of working in the message I'm answering your question with is build capability of people to see themselves in community, in a matrix, uh, to work on the culture that's helping for society as a whole you're representing society as a whole and to work on consciousness so when you're in the moment you can manage yourself you don't need me screaming at you you can be who you want to be and of course then he went to the lakers after being at the bulls and did that in my book i talk about three uh and stephen kerr at the uh Golden State Warriors is now doing the same thing and winning like crazy. So I'm not recommending something pie in the sky, right? I do the same three that Phil Jackson does and Stephen Kerr, which is work on capability to think and be present and manage yourself 
work on culture so that everything is healthy in the matrix and work on consciousness so you can manage what you're choosing, how you're choosing, and how you're affecting the world around you. So that's a very different message than saying, uh, be the best uh, when we need a bunch of stars. It's the opposite of all that. So yeah, you know, talks uh, about it. Yeah, I, you know, I um, I do another podcast called the Nonprofit MBA Podcast, and it's it's for our nonprofit clients because we have quite a number of them. And what's you know, I work with nonprofits all, all you know all every day, and they nonprofits have a built in, um, let's say it's uh, I'll use this word loosely, and maybe you can help me, Carol, with the right word, but a faith-based system, and I'm not talking religion, a faith-based yeah. system that's the vision that they're really making a difference in the world. And to me, that, that, that's the inherent advantage on how a nonprofit can grow versus a business where it's, it can be about dollars and cents. And, and I, I, I'm the first person to tell you that a business should, you know, should be that way. But if you can add on that, there's something, a bigger picture here. We're trying to accomplish something bigger that just exponentially can grow your business. Is that something that you would uh, agree to? Well, I don't think it's adding on at all. I think that's a problem and why we have not-for-profits is, uh, I mean, when I tell you my consumer product companies made a growth rate of 35 to 65% in revenues a year for at least the next five years, this is a better business option that I'm talking about. And it, Weinstein says if we don't take care of the matrix, we're undercutting ourselves. You know, if we try and manipulate the baby like eugenics wanted to do, we diminish society because we don't understand that everything in it has a place. So when I'm working with people, I say all of it's integrated. It's my, the things that you're talking about, the quote, the greater good is more about how we do things. You can make book of money and make a better planet by how you do it. And I give a hundred examples in my six books of doing that. So getting over the, we add that on, would get us there very fast if we understood every time we do strategic thinking or leadership or work design, we do it differently. And we do it with capability building and culture building rather than more supervisor delegating and being in control like the billiard ball. So like if you can do this and you know, pick someone who's not a client of yours, someone that you've just read about and if you can do it and You've given us examples of clients that have done well with that idea. Give me, could you give us an example of a client? Well, you, you did talk. Well, no, that they didn't. That, that's okay. Could you give us an example of modern day company that just does not do a, all they care about is profits and that's it. And they don't do a good job of bringing a, a, a greater good into the company. Well, bringing a good, well, not have to say greater good. I, I, I don't know what they, I, what's the right terminology. Well, if what they're doing is fragmenting and they do philanthropy and they give back, 
they aren't integrated. I have a lot of issues with not-for-profits, by the way, because I think they need to exist because of what we do in business about how we do it so sloppily and destructively. We wouldn't need things separately if we did. And I mean, I don't need to give you an example. 99% of companies are not yet getting it. And they still think even when they're doing good, like I watch um, uh, food companies now, and I'm not going to name names, but I watch them say, all right, we need to be regenerative. And that's a hot new topic, which I've used for 47 years. So it's not new to me. But what they're doing is saying, well, we're going to be more resilient. We're going to use more compost. They aren't looking at the place they are, the matrix they're in. They aren't looking at the life shed and how where they grow and plant is affecting. But if they did, they would be better adapting to the kind of soils that are there, the kind of cycles of weather that are there, uh, the kind of role, the movement of hydrology and geology uh, play in that arena. So most companies don't go look at the matrix. They look at money, uh, which I'm with you. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't tell you about growing 35 to 65 if I didn't percent if I didn't think that was a good thing to do. But if you do it by raping earth and creating destructive processes, you're undermining the matrix. If you do it by growing everything, so when I'm working with a company uh, that has a supplier in a third world area, uh, we go look at not fair trade. I mean, that turns out to get taken care of. But we look at what does it take and have a healthy ecosystem in Indonesia and that part of the world or Thailand where we're buying products. And what they're able to do is generate better products, better communities and better financial effectiveness. So uh, we count things based on earnings, margin, and cash flow. And that's calculated on every decision that's made. Not separate from, but uh, as a whole of how they're making decisions about how they manage their business. So most companies don't know how to do the systemic matrix assessment. So they fragment. So do you think that, let's take a company like Starbucks, right? Do you think Starbucks, they, they, they want, they're totally focused on making a profit and they use uh, their social conscious as a strategy to make more, the primary purpose of making a lot more money? Or do you think that they so I don't. You can, can stop right now because I won't answer that question. And here's why. You use I you don't work do a, No, I don't oh. assess. When a company says to me, how well are we doing? I say, I don't know. Let me give you a way you can assess that for yourself. That's the indirect work because I don't know. And if I thought I did, I'm full of shit. Excuse okay. me. That's probably not allowed to be said. Uh so I don't evaluate uh, even my closest clients, even my children. And I'm one of the board of directors of my son's company. And he long ago, when he was a kid, understood me giving advice is not worth much. What is worth a lot is me building their capability to assess themselves. And for two reasons. One is more likely to be accurate. 
but it's a capability building process, which I'm really good at for people to be able to do that. And then we don't need all the outside evaluation because yeah, they yeah. become That's good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a unique right. approach. I I I I think that's pretty awesome. You know, you te- teach a guy it to is. fish, teach a woman to fish, and you know they'll be fishing well, for the rest I of their lives. Well, I teach them to read. I teach them to rethink the whole life shed in which fishing takes place. It's yeah. not just teaching them fish; it's teaching them the essence of fishing in a unique place. And when you get good at that, you're a system thinker, and you can't not make money. You can't not grow your business. So I don't make trade-offs. It's all the same, and it makes a better world indirectly. Yeah, and I think that's my point, too, from the very, very beginning of this podcast and uh, and, and the other ones I've done, is that you, you got to be a thinker. you got to be out there, regardless if you're using your, your methodology to learn to learn to think, or, you know, answering simple questions in the very beginning of your business. I think it's, it's the most underutilized, uh, that's not the right word. It's the most, it's the thing that I see in business owners. And I know hundreds of business owners, they're small, right? Um, yeah. who, who just don't spend enough time doing what you're talking about. Well, they don't make capability building a forever thing. Yeah. yeah, I say to people, you need a ritual of development. When I go into a company the first few years, uh, and I don't travel and don't do uh, contracts anymore. I do it all with multiple groups at one time online. But to all of them, I say, what you want is a ritual of development where monthly, at a minimum, you bring people together. And we did this in seventh generation, new me tea, uh, um, if we did it with an Intel group, I mean, every group I've worked with, you work on development of the quality of your thinking, not 